Is your God big enough to hold space for your faith or lack of it? If so, I'm thinking that the same goes for your adult children's faith or your grandchild's faith. Faith ranges from belief in a very personal supreme being to trusting a creator God who has simply left the world spinning. When these questions come up with your adult kids and grandkids, how do you talk to your family about it? I'm Emily Morgan. And I'm Mike Morgan. And in this episode of The Grand Life, we explore these questions and talk more about passing on our faith to our grands. Our guest is an author, grandfather, teacher, and minister in the Christian tradition, but he really does have something for everyone. Before we do that, we just want to take a moment to thank you for listening and for taking the time to correspond with us through our email, Facebook page, and voicemail number. Feedback is so important to the success of our podcast, so if you have a chance to rate or review it, please do so. Now, rating and reviewing are two different things. The rating is, you know, how many stars, usually five, and the reviewing is you writing in text about how you feel about the podcast or the content or what it's meant to you. So they are different, not only from each other, but also from one podcatcher app to the next. So I'm not sure that we can walk you through how it might be done on your specific one. But if you look in Apple Podcasts, there are places where you can see ratings and reviews that other listeners have given to us. Yeah. And really, just how hard is it to put five stars? And it's important to note that if you don't rate us five stars, we are going to double the price of the podcast to you. Yes, because zero doubled at is, all is, is still zero. Still zero. What, a, what a business model. <laughs> okay. Enjoy our conversation with our next guest. And please let us know what you think. First, I'd like to welcome you, Richard, to the Grand Life podcast. It's wonderful to have you on. Well, thank you. It's a privilege to be here. You know, I asked you to be on the podcast to address the dilemma that some grandparents have about sharing their faith with their grands. I had heard yes. that, that that was something you were interested in. And your book, The Grandparent Vocation, has a subtitle that states wisdom, legacies, and spiritual growth. And so I thought, well, especially when I read the first two chapters of your book, that it was going to be a book all about your Christian faith and how that plays out in all areas of grandparenting, but it was so much more than that. And so I'm kind of curious why you decided to frame the book as one that concentrates on the Christian faith, even though there was a lot that was probably applicable to a lot of different people of different faiths. Yes. Uh, you're not the only person that's had that question, uh, Emily. Uh, my own wife, uh, as she started it and then went on, commented, well, it started dull, but it got better. <laughs> oh, or it started dear. ponderous, and then it got interesting as you got into some of the issues. <laughs> uh, and uh, your question makes me think why, and ask myself, why, why did I come that way? And the best I can say is I am an ecumenical and interfaith person. My, my friendships have been strongest in the Abrahamic religions, Islam mm -hmm. and, and Judaism, uh, and I guess I thought of myself as writing not to persuade people about my perspective, but to reason from my perspective and let other people of other faiths say, oh, that's how he does it. How would I reason from my perspective as to what grandparenting means to me? And 
and what is the dialogue between my faith and my grandparenting. So uh, <clears throat> as best I can discern my own own thinking, why uh, that is that is why I started where I did. That makes a lot of sense, but it, because you were assuming people are going to look at other faiths the way you look at other faiths. So I understand that. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, for those of us who are listeners who have a different faith, and I know I have listeners from all different faiths, you know, like maybe Judaism or Buddhism or Hinduism, you know, you how are you squaring your biblical references and characters and idioms for those people who are reading what you have to say but don't believe what you do? I think what I'm hearing you say is, well, I'm introducing them to what I think. Yeah, 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 that would be part of it. Uh, I do think in my chapter that we'll probably talk about some more on uh, communicating faith. Mm -hmm. I um, looked a long way and found a number of stories and told four of those stories of grandparents who succeeded in communicating some vital faith to their, their grandchildren. And uh, Rachel, Rachel Naomi Remen's grandfather was a Orthodox rabbi, and uh, he lived only till she was seven years old, but uh, left her with a, a wonderful feeling of, of safety within her faith uh, that her grandpa had communicated that far. Um, and uh, another was Russell Four Eagles, who was uh, taken in by his Oneida healer grandmother, who uh, selected Russell and made him the next healer in a long tradition of hundreds of traditions of healers in the Oneida uh, healing tradition and trained him up to be the healer to pass on that to a next generation. So I uh, did listen and, and heard wonderful stories of faith transmission and faith communication from grandparents and other traditions. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I do. I, I think at the beginning when it's it's uh, quoting Bible things, things that maybe some people wouldn't even be familiar with, they might think, well, that's so foreign to me. But sure, I, I don't sure. think there's anything wrong, I suppose, with being having something be foreign to you. Um, I've certainly mm. read books that, that uh, quote the Koran and all sorts of other things, and then I just take that in. And I think, yeah. well, that is interesting. I, I might believe that. I might not believe that. But sure, I take sure, that in. Yeah. So, so for our listeners, they must understand that that's how you begin. But I'm, you know, the most interesting part to me about this book is how much it offers grandparents who read it. You use research and anecdotes, some of the things you're just talking about, to shore up what you're talking about. I especially love chapter three when you're talking about how we got here in terms of the role of grandparenting. You, you want to share with us a little bit about the evolution. Of the role of grandparenting in history? Sure. Uh, there's at least three aspects to this uh, change in grandparenting. And one is a change in family structure. Uh, I will say the scholars don't entirely agree, agree how many, how widespread was the uh, intergenerational family living together, but there were families where the grandfather was the owner of the property and made all the decisions and guided until he died or, or surrendered that and family business was that way. And so uh, one evolution, uh, one aspect of the change of family was evolving a family structure from grandparents as authorities. And then there came an era where uh, historians say 
grandparents were burdens. Uh, this came with the Industrial Revolution and smaller homes and uh, grandparents who were frail and didn't have resources needed to move in with their children and being yeah. a burden to them. Yeah. And then uh, they th that era was replaced by Social Security and, and uh, uh, pensions and all, and so grandparents could more care for themselves. And then it becomes grandparents as, and a kind of question mark, uh, the, the key word that many use are companion, but who are grandparents? But uh, so that's one way to look at the change. Another is about life expectancy. Uh, life expectancy increased by 25 to 30 years for people in the 20th century, and it's kind of bounced around in the 21st century mm -hmm. <laughs> with COVID and all. But at the same time that people were living longer and longer, they were having fewer and fewer children. And so uh, there are more people in the, in the world population. There are more people over age 50 than there are people under age 15, which is to say grandparents will live longer and will have their grandchildren longer, but they will have fewer grandchildren, mm -hmm. uh, maybe one or two or three. And the third aspect is the changed experience of grandparents. Uh, we live in urban societies. We live in modernization. Uh, we live much more opportunities for formal education and more. And so uh, grandparents are different than they were. And all of this, it leads to something of a, a confusion or an uncertain role for grandparents today that they will have to uh, hammer out somehow with their family. So that's that's something of the change, aspects of change of grandparenting over the century. You know, we do feel like we're kind of in this phase of grandparents as friends a little bit more. Uh, yes. And it's a it's a lovely thing. Um, it has its troubles as well, sure. you know, but it, it is a very wonderful thing. And I feel like we are more friends with our children, with our adult children than perhaps my parents' generation yes. and their generation before them. So I'm definitely seeing that change in my own life. Um, you know, I, there was another thing that you mentioned in your book that I had not ever heard of, and I'm not even sure I'm going to say it right, but uh, there's a word you mentioned called Allo parents? Is that how you say it? That's how I say it. I've only read it also. I've never heard anyone else say it. <laughs> so maybe you could tell our listeners what that means and how it's affecting the generation, this generation of grandparents. Okay, certainly. Allo parent, uh, the term allo comes from the Greek and, and it means other, mm -hmm. other parents. And allo parents uh, points to all those others who enter in and share parenting with uh, the birth or adoptive parents. Mm -hmm. And in an African village, for example, it would be all the women who work together to collect food and prepare food. Mm -hmm. And all, all of the mothers and older children and maybe grandparents would all enter into caring for the children and helping to raise them. Uh, one mother told this, this person, uh, you, you're ultimately responsible for your own child, but you have to love them all as your own. She found this uh, a very wonderful way to raise children as compared to her husband and her rather new parents and amateurs and uncertain of themselves, essentially raising their child by themselves. Yeah, it's kind of the uh, it takes a village, isn't it? 
Yes, yes, exactly. That's it exactly, Emily. Yeah, things have changed over. I mean, this pandemic has really changed because in some ways people did depend on their aunties, their uncles and their parents, but in other ways were very isolated and had none of that alloparent presence in their lives. Uh, Absolutely. Um, I saw grandparents who are alloparents and I saw grandparents who needed alloparents. Yeah. And the the grandparents who are alloparents are those who are lending some help in the child rearing of their grandchildren Mm-hmm. Uh, aiding their their children as who are the parents of the grandchildren in some way, and I saw it happening in a number of different ways. Uh, the most frequent was uh, providing some childcare while their parents were at work mm-hmm. and helping to relieve the the huge childcare costs that parents are paying these days. Yeah, as they work out of the home and need care for their children. Another way in which grandparents were all parents of. I uh, saw a couple who welcomed their daughter and her three children into their home when the daughter was going through a divorce and needing to get on her feet. Right. And the uh, the parent and the grandparent together took responsibility for the children's needs, getting to school, getting home, getting food and all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another Ella parent that I saw was uh, a father and mother. Uh, their son was going through a divorce and also struggling with uh, alcoholism. And he was raising a little girl, and he did the best he could. But when he faltered, the grandparents stepped in and did the parenting, got her to school, got her to her church activities, uh, helped her with her homework and all. Yeah. And so all of those were hello parents to their children. You know, it used to be there was this kind of stereotype of the parents, empty nesters, then retiring at 65, then going to some kind of retirement village in Florida and playing, you know, playing games and swimming and doing all this stuff and really having not much to do with their grandchildren. And I just don't see that as much anymore. I mean, people in their 60s, 70s, 80s are helping their children and their grandchildren in so many ways. Exactly. And I don't know whether anyone else would apply it, but I'm using the term alloparent to describe what grandparents are doing in that role. Mm-hmm. I also saw grandparents who needed alloparents, who needed support and backup because they had become the custodial parents of their children's children. Mm-hmm. And usually this is born of tragedy. If a child's parent dies or becomes mentally ill or addicted or there's family breakup or there is domestic abuse and the grandparent realizes either their grandchildren will get absorbed into the child welfare system or family will provide care and it falls to the grandparent to be parent to that child. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And uh, it's a, a heavy responsibility and that's where I say they could use alloparents. They could use other people <laughs> joining in to provide a respite care or run errands or uh, tutor their children or just plain enjoy their children, Yeah, uh, the children that they are raising. We need to help each other more. That is for sure. One, one amazing statistic that scares me, uh, I just saw it, that there are estimated 3 million grandparents who are now serving as custodial parents to their grandchildren in the United States. Wait a minute, can you say that again? Three million grandparents in the United States who are serving as parents, custodial parents to grandchildren. Wow. Well, think back to when you served as a 
as an office employee in a local elementary school. Yeah. You saw an awful lot of grandparents. I did. Serving in that role. Now, we don't know if they were custodial or if, they, if there was a parent involved, mm-hmm. but sometimes the, the grandparent was the only adult you saw in connection to a given child. Absolutely. Yeah, so I guess I believe it. It's just hard to believe, isn't it? That's a huge number. In chapter 10, this is where you talk about the nuns. And we're not talking about women in a convent. We're talking about um, people who grow up without a faith. If that's Is that how you would describe nuns? People who have uh, elected to be without of faith affiliation. Okay. The term nun basically comes from Poles, and when a person can name their religion, Protestant, Catholic, Jewish, other, or none, and they check the nun. Okay, so we're definitely seeing that in our group of friends even. Sure. Um, many have adult children and grandchildren who really don't want to have anything to do with the faith they grew up in, and many of them did grow up in a faith. Yes. And when I was growing up, I used to hear and read about cafeteria Christians. We would joke about cafeteria Christians who took only what they wanted for their own faith. They would pick and choose what they wanted to believe. And now you're calling that something called faith unbundled. And for the listeners who have a faith, whatever that faith is, is there room for hope as a grandparent that it's not all lost? Like we haven't, we don't have a whole generation of grandchildren who have completely unbundled their faith. They don't have any kind of faith. I mean, how do we move forward in sharing our faith with our grands if there's no such thing and these kids are writing none on the surveys and they just have this unbundled faith? And yeah. That's probably not the same, is it? Maybe they're different. Actually, this term faith unbundled comes from the Springtide Research Institute that specializes on Generation Z, Mm -hmm. which is uh, born 1996 to 2011. In other words, young people in their teens and 20s right now. Mm -hmm. And they've carried on surveys with thousands of them and interviews with, with dozens. And Faith Unbundled is what they discover. They discover that a large percentage of them would describe themselves as spiritual, as religious. But when they select how will they express this or explore it or develop it, mm-hmm. they choose not from one faith tradition or even religious tradition, but a variety of things. Okay. Uh, for example, when asked what they do, time outside, time with a pet, time with their music, time with friends, would all be things that they would see as religious, spiritual activities and ways that strengthen their life and strengthen their faith. How do you square that with a faith? Is Does that count yeah. as faith? Well, faith unbundled, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> have, Richard, have you developed uh, a, a sort of an advisory point of view? Uh, do you have sort of general instructions or guidance for grandparents who are struggling with this sort of thing, either to persuade their kids and grandkids to claim something besides none of the above or to move towards uh, something a bit more more conventional more let let me just say two or three perspectives and strategies that i i uh, attempt to live myself Uh, i'm no stranger to this myself with my own grandkids that i i love and have differences with one thing that i've said is is the integrity of one's own life and one's own example and one's own being. 
live what you believe and let it show. One grandparent couple that I interviewed, also close friends of mine, have an interesting way of coming at this. They say when we are in our children's or grandchildren's homes, we completely conform to whatever practices. And if there are none, uh, if Sunday is a very secular holiday and all, uh, we enter into whatever the family's doing. What do you do if, if a listener would say, I want to do that, but my adult children say they don't want me to bring my grandchildren to my church, or they don't want me to pray when I eat my d- dinner, or they don't want me to do these things. How do you deal with that when you have adult children who are pretty pretty negative about wanting to pass that on in their in their own parents' home? When the family comes visits in our home, we ask them to enter into our rituals, our our prayer at meals. Yeah to be aware of our meditation times and, and uh, quiet times. Okay. To go with us to our church and meet our friends and hear hear from our friends how much uh, they know about our grandchildren and how much excited they are to have them among us. And this a pair of grandparents say, we are at peace. Our, our grandchildren will be whoever they will be and believe whatever they be. But we want them to know who we are and how we live our faith. It's very reasonable. Yeah. I agree that that's very reasonable. It's also very loving and affirming. Yeah. Yes. I think every uh, case is an individual one. These parents did some negotiating, and they said, we want to make quite clear, we will enter into your life and your home, and we ask you, just for the weekend you're with us, to enter into our life and our home. And after that weekend is over, Whatever you take from that, whatever you don't take from that is your own decision. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of one of the stories you tell near the beginning of the young woman who, as a grandchild, went to her grandfather's temple with him and had a few occasions where they shared that faith together. And it really did influence her as she became an adult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was deeply touched with how they did this and this this couple hoped that the values they live out uh, as teachers and volunteers and all, the lifestyle of their, their grandchildren would be influenced in that some way as well as by their explicit faith beliefs. Yeah, it's important to share, you know, what's important to you as an adult to a child. Yeah, and, and hear what's important to the child. I think an, another strategy is if one is involved in any action connection to their faith, a food kitchen, Meals on Wheels, Habitat for Humanity, uh, marching for this or that cause, mm-hmm. to invite your grandchildren to come along with you and see how you are living out your faith. One pair of grandparents I interviewed, their uh, grandchildren were very involved in Black Lives Matter, and there were to be public events and marches on behalf of Black Lives Matter. And so the grandparents marched along with the grandchildren. Oh, my goodness. I love that. And joined the cause that was important to their grandchildren and said, what's important to you out of your faith is important to us as well. Now, that mutual support. Um, Yeah, that's wonderful. And I I think it does remind me that we can share causes even if we don't share a specific faith. Uh, My my Christmas present to my great-grandsons this year was the, the latest Ruby Bridges book. Because I wanted these little boys to know about this little girl 
who courageously with federal agents walk through the crowds day after day to integrate a school. And, uh, and uh, again, I know one set of parents is reading it to their son over and over again, and he loves the story. Yeah. Richard, thanks so much for your wisdom and all that your book has to offer and the things that you have mentioned to us on the podcast today. You know, to our listeners who aren't part of a Christian tradition, I'd just like to say that this book has more to offer than just what might seem like you know, God talk or Bible references. This has this is much more ecumenical than that. Has a lot more to offer, and um, you know, it's chock full of interesting observations about grandparenting that applies to us all. So, and we'd love to make sure everybody knows what's the best way to get your book. Well, they can either order them directly from uh, the publisher, which is Roman and Littlefield, or it's available wherever books are sold, Amazon and all the rest. Okay. We will get that on our show notes so that people will have access to the links. And Richard, thank you so much for joining us. Well, it's so delightful to talk with you. Thank you for inviting me. You know, we called this one uh, Faith Forward. <laughs> Sounds like I'm lifting, I know, but I couldn't resist. <laughs> oh, gosh. You know, that felt like a starter conversation, but I think we both agree completely that faith can't be passed down without action, as Richard pointed out. You know, I was just talking to our son, who was sharing with me this week about a conversation he had with his friend Pete, and they were talking about family values and have now decided they should really call them family actions. Yeah, because talk is cheap. You know, what does they say? Actions speak louder than words. Yeah. So the same goes for faith values, I think. They should be faith actions. So get out there, do what you say you believe, and I think your children and your grandchildren might be more willing to take the torch you're trying to pass to them. And there are lots of good ideas in the episode that our guest has given that you can use to apply those. Yeah. I'm Emily Morgan. And I'm Mike Morgan. And thanks for joining us in Living the Grand Life. Next time on The Grand Life, it's the Wayback Machine. Yeah, these are the weeks in which we are moving. You can almost tell from listening to the podcast that it's getting more and more echoey in this room. So until we set up our studio again... We're going to be revisiting and updating some of our favorite older episodes that have strong relevance even today. So stay tuned, and we will chat with you later. On the other side of our move. That's next few times on The Grand Life. <laughs>